In a world, the year 1991. Hello everyone, Brian the Movie Guy here, along with co-host extraordinaire Cody Wilfong, and on today's podcast, we are here to show you that the human spirit is still alive. We, that's right, folks. We are going back to the 90s to talk about one of the best 90s action films of all time. Directed by Catherine Bigelow, Point Break. Originally starring Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, we are diving into a world where that was not the case. What were the outcomes? Find out right here, right now, only on In a World. Hello everyone, Brad the Movie Guy here, and the little hand says it's time to rock and roll, but I am not alone here. I'm with the FBI agent himself, Cody Wilfong. How's it going, buddy? Feel like shit. Feel like shit? Well, you shouldn't, because we're talking about an excellent movie tonight, so let's bring those spirits up, shall we? Of course, as you may have guessed from our intro, this is about Point Break, which came out in 1991. It's one of my all-time favorite 90s action films. I think it's... I rewatched it recently. It wasn't on the original re- release schedule up until June that I gave you, but I rewatched it recently, and I was like, fuck, this is a good movie. Like, this is a great movie. It actually, like, got bumped up on my Letterboxd rating and everything. So, as usual, though, for the people who may not know, Point Break is about... After a string of bizarre bank robberies in Southern California with crooks donning masks of various former presidents, a federal agent, Johnny Utah, infiltrates the the suspected gang, but there is no ordinary group of robbers. They're surfers, led by charismatic Bodhi, who are addicted to the rush of thievery. But when Utah falls in love with a female surfer, Tyler, who is close to the gang and grows a relationship for the gr- for, for, uh, with the gang's charismatic leader, it complicates his sense of duty. The movie was written by Rich King, Rick King and, had, and a story by credit for W. Peter Liff. It is directed by Catherine Bigelow, which is rare for the time because... Um, we'll get into this a little more during the fun facts, but... Um, female directors were not very like known for doing action films um she she's very underrated i mean she's won an oscar obviously for the hurt locker but she's done this one called um i think it's called after dark or something like that it's a vampire movie that's really good and then this one with jamie lee curtis it's a cop one called blue steel it's really good but yeah so this movie is also executive produced by james cameron who she was married to at the time but we'll get into some little little details as we go into when we hop into the the, the DeLorean. Um, this movie originally starred Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, Gary Busey, Lori Petty, and John C. McGinley. Now I say originally starred because, as you people know, this is what What If podcast, so these names are about to not exist. I mainly for the what ifs when we when we jump into them. I didn't really think of any modern names. I do have one modern name we can get into in a little bit that I thought of, but um, for now let's hop. Let's look into the what ifs to see what this movie was could have been. First and for foremost, this film was originally called Johnny Utah when Keanu Reeves was cast in the title role. The studio felt that this title said very little about surfing, and by the time Patrick Swayze was cast, the film had been renamed to Riders of the Storm, which 
I get it's a door song, and I get like it has a Sounds certain. Stupid. I think it makes sense though, because when you look at Bodie's like main goal of the movie, it's he talks about the fifty year storm. Like these guys are technically all about right. They are riders of the storm. Like it makes sense to me. I think it's kind of cool, but I get why they didn't use it. But you know, but it did get mixed up with the door song, and. Also, you know, the lyrics have nothing to do with the film as well. So the it was rejected, and it wasn't even until halfway through filming, though, that they decided on Point Break for the film's title. And, it, of course, its relevance to surfing. Uh, Catherine Bigelow fought to have Keanu Reeves cast as Johnny Utah. You gotta do that. <laughs> cast as Johnny Utah, insisting she wouldn't film the movie without him. The studio and producers were interested in looking at high pro- higher-profile actors at the time, like Johnny Depp, and Patrick Swayze actually originally auditioned for Johnny Utah before Keanu Reeves was cast instead, and they thought his energy mas- matched Bodie's a, lo- a lot more. And I guess like a lot of people say that like if you knew Patrick Swayze in real life, he was very much had a Bodie-esque-ness uh, to him. Matthew Broderick was actually offered the role of Johnny Utah at one point. He was actually supposed to co-star with Charlie Sheen at the time when it was being developed in the 1980s. But here are the other names considered for Johnny Utah at the time. We have Charlie Sheen, William Defoe for some weird reason. I think it'd be hilarious to see William Defoe on a surfboard personally. Um, Val Kilmer, which I think Val Kilmer could work either as a Johnny Utah or a as a Bodie. Like, He's probably doing something else. Around nineteen ninety one this was well this was well before Heat, so I mean I guess this would have been shortly after Top Gun, so I I don't really know his filmography off the top of my head that well, but I really think he would have been I could see him better as a Bodie than a Johnny Utah to be honest though. Even though late actor Brandon Lee was never offered a part, he was in negotiations with 20th Century Fox with his agent Robert Lawrence in late 89 into the early 90s to secure a development deal, which he did in 90, before filming began on Point Break in 91. However, Lee was still unknown and Catherine Bigelow chose Keanu Reeves instead, but Brandon Lee still attended the movie's premiere. I think Johnny Utah wouldn't have been a bad a role for Brandon Lee, but at the same time, this movie, okay, so, one of the reasons why this movie works well for me, and why I, like, spoiler alert, I have it as a 5 out of 5 on Letterboxd, but sometimes, ridiculous movies need that 5 out of 5, and this is one of those movies where everything that's ridiculous about it actually makes it better. Like, the fact that, that Johnny Utah is the possibly the worst undercover agent of all time is is great for the movie, especially because for some weird reason, and I've mentioned this before, I'm not 100% certain if Keanu Reeves is a good actor. Like, he's he is great to watch, he is charismatic, and I love him. I think his best role, his act, best acted role to me is still Speed ironically but yeah there's just something this movie just it's very over the top but like there's this unintentional humor to it in a lot of scenes that we can get into when we jump into notes and quotes and stuff like that 
But if you add Brandon Lee to it, I feel like, well, any if you change anyone into uh, Johnny Utah, it becomes a whole different movie. Because I feel like Keanu Reeves was just trying to get out of that. Because Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey comes out the same year as this movie. So he still has that very big stoner surfer kind of look to him. Michael Bain uh, revealed in an interview um, that he, or Michael Bean revealed in an interview that uh, he was briefly in talks for co-starring as Bodie, but plans fell through. Which that's another actor like I like Michael Bain. Uh, Bean, I've never actually known how to say his last name, and I've met the dude. I feel like he couldn't be as chill as as Patrick Swayze is. Like. There's something about what Patrick Swayze brings to Bodhi where it's like he is like a presence of he is in charge, but there's also like a calmingness to him. He's the kind of guy that men wanted to be with, but they also hated because all the women wanted to be with him kind of guy. Um, and he was like a tr- like he could do everything. He could sing, dance. You know, the song She's Like the Wind. He sings that. Did you ever know that? I don't. I've well, never listened to that song. Oh, dude, it's a beautiful song, um, and he sings like Bird, but, <laughs> but um, no, Patrick Swayze was, like, a genuine just star, but what he does is, like, I feel like how he presents Bodhi as this, like, zen kind of new-agey kind of guy, it just works very well. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, I might have, like, glazed over it, but Ridley Scott was the first choice to direct this movie back in the 80s, but instead he decided to do Thelma and Louise, which came out the same year, which, not a bad choice, um, has Brad Pitt in it, one of his first roles, so, kind of a big deal. Uh, Elizabeth Berkley had a small scene in the movie, but it was cut out, and I think if this movie actually released a couple years down the road, and, because she was 19 at the time, but if well, let's say give it three or four years. She could have easily played the role of Tyler next opposite. Uh, God, who knows? But I really honestly couldn't find anything for Tyler. So I did come up with a few names of kind of actresses who were that would fit like someone who I could believe if you were out surfing, I would believe they were surfing. Now, this would be a year before she would win her Best Supporting Actress Oscar, but I thought Marissa Tomei instantly. Um, the next actress I have is, she, again, wouldn't really have her big, big... I mean, she was in a movie with Nicolas Cage around this time, but she wouldn't have her big break until Jurassic Park, and that's Laura Dern. And then the next one... She's not a real well-known actress. Um, I think, like, the most... The thing you would know her probably from is Airheads. She was Kayla, uh, Brendan Fraser's uh, girlfriend in the movie. Uh, That's uh, Amy Loken. Those are the three names I could even think of. Now, before I get into, like, some of, like, the story ideas here, there you mentioned the other day... What what was the name you thought if there was a... Tom Hardy. Mm -hmm. Tom Hardy would be an excellent Bodhi. But now... If we take the clock back and remake this movie around, let's say, 2005, 2006, I think this actor would be a great young Bodie. And I don't think he would be someone, because I've heard, I, I know a lot of people are probably expecting to hear Matthew McConaughey. 
I don't see... I mean, he could do it. I've seen Matthew McConaughey be, like, that guy on the edge in movies. But I almost feel like his zen would be almost too zen. Like, Bodhi's just the right amount of zen in this movie. And it works against well against Johnny Utah's kind of, like, bruh behavior. Which... Some of the accents and some of the, like, tones and things people say in this movie, especially, like, Keanu, like, at a point just decides, like, I'm going to talk full surfer. Like, there's a part where he's collecting hair samples, and he's, like, he he's trying to, like, make it sound like there's something crawling in this dude's hair, and he's like, ugh, just saved your life, bro. And I'm just like, come on, man, toad it out. But again, it's cringy, but it's great because what happens as Keanu Reeves is walking away, he has that dumb surfer face, but as he knows he's totally clear from that guy's eyesight, he goes straight face cop again. So it's like he's putting on an act, and it's like, okay, so this is just... We have to, like, be in for the show of it. But this actor, I thought, for Bodie, Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. Heath Ledger would have been, like... I think Heath Ledger is the only actor I can think of who kind of meets that presence of what Patrick Swayze had, and especially in his prime, where we got to remember, like, especially around this time, he was doing Ghost, he had done Dirty Dancing, Roadhouse, like, Patrick Swayze was on top of the fucking world at this point in his career, and I think Bodie was honestly the cherry on top, if you ask me. But going on to a few more what-ifs before we gun it, this movie was originally about skateboarding. Right? Kind of weird. And so, now... Keep that in mind, though, because some of these what-ifs kind of start branching some ideas here. So, 20th Century Fox had made plans for a sequel to the film to be released in the summer of 1993, which which would have been, I think, the summer of Speed. I'm pretty sure Speed was the summer of... No, or Speed... No, Speed came out in 94. Never mind. But, in fact, a script had been written and was in pre-production. Despite the film grossing $90 million worldwide, the studio decided to scrap the project. Now, there I couldn't find details of what the supposed s- sequel was going to be. But let's face it. This, <laughs> well, yeah. But let's face it. The sequel is pretty much The Fast and the Furious. Or, we play with the idea of the original skateboarding concept with bank robbery and incorporate skateboarding into the bank robbery as like uh, Ryan Gosling does with dirt bikes in that Place Beyond the Pines movie. Or uh, I think that's what it's called, some shit like that. Or we can play with the idea that the true, honest-to-God Johnny Utah-led sequel happened in the world of, you guessed it, street racing. He then had to stop a gang of armed car bank robbers, or yeah, armored car bank robbers, who specialized in, of course, street racing. Then we just won't even have the Fast and Furious. It's just Johnny Utah movies. Well, we are on our... Do you think we'd be on our 15th Johnny Utah movie by now? (laughs) God, that's a franchise. Um, And then the uh, last what-if here I have, and it's more of career what-ifs, but Johnny Utah became an FBI agent after a knee injury ended his football career. In real life, Keanu Reeves was once an aspiring hockey player who suffered a knee injury. And vice versa, Patrick Swayze had a serious knee injury playing football and then decided to become an actor just like Keanu Reeves did. So 
there's a po- there is a point in time in the universe where Keanu Reeves is a probably like the next uh, Wayne Gretzky or some shit, and then Patrick Swayze is the the, the first Tom Brady. Because let's face it, that the Tom Patrick Swayze was winning Super Bowls. That guy could do anything. Um, but yeah, that's all I have for the what ifs. So. As I like to remind uh, folks listening, um, we mentioned the what-ifs first, so you can kind of keep those in your mind as we go along, especially when we talk about quotes, scenes, and stuff like that. I think it'd be really hard, honestly, to imagine Matthew Broderick in this role. Now, I think the Johnny Depp aspect of it is interesting, because technically... At this point in time, Johnny Depp was doing, uh, just had gotten out of 21 Jump Street shit, so he could still do the undercover role and all that, so, I don't know. Just, just spitballing here, but yeah, uh, on to our... Now that we have gunned it to 88, we have traveled back to July 12th, 1991. It's weird to think, like, I was a couple weeks old. I wasn't even born. You weren't even thought of, kid. Anyway, um, this movie had a budget of $24 million. It had an opening weekend north of $8.5 million. It had a worldwide gross end result north of $83.5 million. So this movie did super fucking well, as mentioned earlier. It made almost $90 million worldwide. Had a sequel lined up for it, but... Things fell through, which I I feel like at the end of the day, if you know how the movie ends, and if you're listening to this, I I hope you've seen the movie. It doesn't need a sequel. Like, Johnny Utah clearly, like, throws the badge. He's, like, symbolically quitting. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe some dirty, hairy shit, which I think it's honestly just a a homage to that, to the first Dirty Harry when he throws his badge. We have Bodhi riding the wave, and it was revealed by Catherine Bigelow in an interview somewhere that um, he actually does die. Which, I mean, if you watch the movie, it's no, no one's surviving a wave crash like that, especially if they're over 50 feet tall. But, um, yeah, so this is a little new little thing I have here, but I actually have some fun facts about the video release. Because I found out that the video release was even... Okay, so the, again, this movie came out July 12th, 1991. And the video, the first video release of it wasn't until July 9th, 1996. So, a far cry from today when some movies are still in theaters and literally are, like, ready to buy on digital. I completely forgot how long it took VHSs to come out. Like, I completely forgot that, like, I remember when The Grinch came out, it took it a year for the VHS to come out, and it was on QVC and shit before that even happened. But this was also getting close to around the time of DVDs. And I remember us getting DVDs in the late 90s. And I remember our first DVDs actually being like Cool Hand Luke, Twister, The Truman Show, this movie called Wrongfully Accused. But like, I I feel like it took almost two years for the DVD of The Grinch to come out. I just remember they definitely waited for uh, the Christmas season to roll back around. But there, there was never, like, a movie was coming out on DVD and it was still in theaters kind of thing. Like, it was long gone after that. But I feel like everything being burned onto a disc now kind of makes it quicker. But anyway, back to this, though. To kind of give you, like, a hint of how big of an idea of how big this movie was and how much people wanted to see it five years after its release. I mean, of course, it probably had the cable run, HBO, and stuff like that. But U.S. rentals for the film 
grossed $20 million, but the worldwide rentals, I couldn't find the exact number, but uh, from my reading, it was ex much, much higher. So $20 million alone in just U.S. rental sales. Like, that's wild. You don't have that anymore. It's like a movie does well in theaters, and then people will either buy it or they don't. It eventually becomes a $5 bin, or $5 bin which not, not a bad thing. You know, there's good movies in the $5 bin. But anyway, the top ten opening for this weekend, going back to 1991. So, ironically, I, I mentioned had to mention that James Cameron was a producer of this movie. One week before this movie came out, you could easily have gone and seen T2 Judgment Day, Terminator 2, which it's wild to me to, for me to think that like, I could have went and saw Terminator 2 and, and Point Break in the exact same weekend if I wanted to. Not only that, though, uh, number one was Terminator 2, uh, number two was 101 Dalmatians, number three, Boys in the Hood. Number four, Point Break came out, uh, premiered at number four. Um, number five was Naked Gun, Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. Number six was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Number seven, Regarding Henry. Number eight, City Slickers. Number nine, Problem Child 2. And number ten, The Rocketeer. That's a good top ten. Like, that's, and that's not even counting some of the other movies that I'm sure were out around this time, but that's like a solid, you could literally go to the movies at least seven days a week and at least have an entertaining movie. Not all those movies are great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend regarding Henry. Um, but that's an awesome fucking, fucking top 10 weekend. What did the critics have to say about this movie? Well, I'll tell you, Cody. Rotten Tomatoes, it does have a 70% 70, 70 fresh score, which I feel like is a little low, but I get it. <laughs> uh, the critics' consensus being that it's absurd, over the top, and Often wildly entertaining, Point Break is here to show you the human spirit is still alive. Um, it has an audience score of seventy nine percent, which is higher, a little more respectful, but a little too low. I'm 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 feeling like eighties is right. IMDb it has a seven point three out of ten. On Letterboxd, it has a three point seven out of five. I give it a five out of five for again. Everything I said earlier about, like, this is just, like, a tip-top entertaining film. Like, everything that you could complain about it, it's just something, like, if, well, if it didn't have that element, like, again, like, there's a moment where a dog is thrown during a foot chase. Like, that moment is hilarious and awesome, but also, like, wow, that is an effective way to get away from someone. But, yeah, that's all I really have. Oh, wait, yeah, that's all I really have for us being in, um, Gunning It to 88, because... I feel like this is one of those movies I didn't see when I was really young, like a lot of the others. I knew of it because everybody knew. I, I I think I saw this probably in the early 2000s. Because when my first job, I worked at a Kroger. And I, once for Halloween, was the Richard Nixon dead pres or ex-president for Halloween. I, w I wanted to actually bring that mask here to show you it. And we were like, I am not a crook. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere. But, yeah, um, I, it was definitely in the early 2000s because, um, you know what? It was, it was a little, it was around the same time I would have seen Hot Fuzz. Because Hot Fuzz makes the reference of it when... It was mid-2004. Well, I would have known the movie before Hot Fuzz, though, because I understood the Hot Fuzz reference, but I wouldn't have seen it... I know I wasn't, like... It wasn't early 2000s, so I want to say, like, 2005, 2006 area, for sure. But I could be wrong. 
But yeah, it was definitely one that like obviously it had an impact on me because I was like, man, those ex presidents things. I always wanted the Reagan mask though. I always wanted to be Swayze, but you know, if I gotta be Roach, I gotta be Roach. It's whatever. Gromit would have been cool, but he's uh, Johnson, and you know, he killed Kennedy, and we could get into that later when we do uh, the JFK podcast. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all I really have for this DeLorean ride. So I guess the only thing we do is uh, bring it back and go to the next. Now that we are back in 2024, we are here to talk about 70% facts, because 70% of the time, they're right, every time. Um, the first fun fact I have here for us, Cody, this film was released the same weekend as Boys in the Hood, on July 12th, 1991, um... Patrick Swayze was participated in skydiving as a hobby, was told to stop for insurance purposes once production began. Producers coaxed him, coaxed him into uh, the agreement with the promise of letting the star do one actual skydive on screen. The uncut shot of Bodie yelling, Adios amigo, and falling from the plane features Swayze actually making the jump. Unbeknownst to the producers, when not on day's call sheet, Swayze and others would occasionally actually run out to the airport and just go skydiving anyway. They didn't give a fuck. And he actually does over 50% of his skydiving in this movie, which is really cool. And, and also, like, the part where he falls out of the plane, it's really cool because she has it, like, really tied up on his face so you know it's him. And then he just falls backwards, and she instantly, like takes the camera and goes over the edge so we can see him just continuously fall. Um, for uh, many of the surfing scenes, Patrick Swayze refused to use a stunt double as he never had one for uh, fight scenes or car chases. He cracked four ribs while filming those scenes, though. Um, Bo Jesse Christopher Gromit and uh, John uh, Philbin Nathaniel were pro surfers who acted on the side. Um, co-producer Rick King first came up with the idea for the movie, bless you, uh, came up with the movie while lounging on the beach. He had been given an L.A. Weekly article about Los Angeles being robbery capital of, bless you, being the robbery capital of America and dreamed up a movie about an FBI agent infiltrating a surf gang that does, that robs banks to fuel their fun. Um... The next one I have here is Keanu Reeves observed a real FBI agent or real FBI agents in Los Angeles to study for the role. He also participated in UCLA quarterback coaches to help with um, with the the football scenes, which, uh, from my understanding, he should have went to uh, OSU. Nah. Uh, once he was cast, Keanu Reeves went off to Hawaii in order to learn how to surf, because Keanu Reeves does what Keanu Reeves does. Um, in <laughs> Buddhism, the word Bodhi is linked to the state of Nirvana, where the soul is free from hate, greed, and ego. Siddha... Okay, I, I apologize for this. Siddhartha... Gautama, the wise sage who was the founder of Buddhism, was sitting under a Bodhi tree when he attained enlightenment. I do apologize to the people. I will probably just, like, edit that out and just, like, re-record how to pronounce that name. Um, 
the beach spot where the football game is played at the beginning of the film is the same place that they used for the soccer game in what 1984 movie? You want to guess? Soccer? Beach? The Karate Kid. Uh, I hate those movies. The Karate Kid is fit. What do you mean you hate the Karate Kid? Wax on, wax off? This is why you're not good at karate. You will never win in a karate I never fight. Say that I've ever had an inkling to. Uh, are you? I, from my understanding, you are the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. From I remember it. Well, wow. what was that you towards? Uh, I think that was more towards Mario Kart because Caden yes. said that you're not the best, <laughs> and it, it got you. It got it got the fire burning in your belly for sure. Um, yeah, I raced the Japanese and won. That fair enough. Um, Officially uncredited because of unresolved issues with the Writers Guild of America, James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow rewrote the final script together. The film inspired a piece of cult theater called Point Break Live, in which the role of Johnny Utah is played by an audience member chosen by popular uh, acclamations after a brief audition. The new quote-unquote Keanu reads all of his or her lines from cue cards for the duration of the show. To capture the rawness of the Keanu's performance, even from those who genuinely think themselves incapable of acting, in, in 2013, Gary Busey attended a performance and received rapturous applause from the audience when he joined the cast on stage. Lori Petty would also turn up and participate in live action performances. So, I just think it's fun, like, their idea of, like, how do we get, like, that raw Keanu experience? Everyone reads off cue cards. <laughs> I just would love to see, like, I guarantee, like, the part where he's in the van is like, I am an FBI agent. I guarantee it's like F is on a cue card, then B's on a cue card, and I's on a cue card. I guarantee it. So, one of my favorite fun facts to always have in, in these is, how many times was the F word used? You want to take a guess? 295. That's really high, Cody. I don't think they... Not, what? <laughs> that's, that's optimism. But it's only 105 times. That's why I was so shocked. Like, good lord. Um, I mean, Jonah Hill didn't co-star. God, can you imagine Joe Hill as Gromit? It's like when you're on that wave and your your balls are like this big, man. Uh, the Spanish va uh, phrase, vaya con Dios, spoken by Johnny Tabodi at the end of the film, in English trans to go with God. This is also used as a catchphrase for a fake telenovela based in the world of the hit show King of the Hill by character Monsignor Martinez. Vaya con Dios. King of the Hill came out, what, after? 1897-ish. Well, it, it's just like, it's just, it's just like every time they show the Monsignor, he's always like about to kill someone. And every time he's about to kill them or he's like done the act that will kill him, he always, vaya con Dios. I love it. It's so good. I kind of wish that somebody would make, like, a live-action movie of it, if, like, something based in the world of King of the Hill. Because I don't think a live-action King of the Hill movie would work. I guess El Mariachi is pretty much that. Anyway, going on. Um, <laughs> to get close-ups of the actors during the skydiving sequences, a crane rig with a telescoping arm was built for each actor. The rigs enabled the cast to say their lines while the camera was shot from them below and to the side to achieve the sense of floating while skydiving. In order to provide a more fluid feel, the camera was on a similar rig. And the last fun fact I have here before we go into our last section of this episode... The members of the ex-presidents, and this is a spoiler warning, 
are killed in chronological order of when their representative presidents served in office. And that was something I never noticed before. Not any rewatch. Only after I found that fun fact and I did my rewatch after that, I was like, fuck, it is, it's true. And I, I think that's just like, that's them having fun, which I'm glad that they're having fun because I was having fun watching it. Anyway, uh, yeah, on to our last category. We are in our last category of the episode. Notes and quotes are... Wait, listen, did you see that? So, as I, as always, I like to alternate between my favorite quotes and my favorite scenes. And then, of course, I have my notes uh, that we will get into shortly after. So, my first quote here is one that everyone, a lot of people uh, from around this time, it was a very popular quote that people would apparently just yell at each other. There is, I, I've mentioned it several times, but when they're in the back of the van and they're heading to the bank heist where uh, Gromit will get shot. Or, um, is it Gromit? Yeah, it's Gromit. Yeah, Gromit gets shot and killed at. Um, they're in the van and they're driving and Bo, Bodie's just kind of spouting off all this like wisdom stuff. And Johnny Utah just yells to him. I can't do this. Sure you can. Who knows, you might like it. It's a killer rush. Buddy, this is your fucking wake-up call, man. I am an FBI agent. I know, man. Isn't it wild? I just love Bodie's like, I know, isn't it wild, man? Um, and this is like, he, he's, I think like once he sees that Johnny is an FBI agent, he kind of loses sense in reality because when, uh, going back to what Bodhi means, like, he, Bodhi does kind of seem like that guy at first, but then, like, when he kind of feels portrayed, he breaks bad. Um, the first scene I have here is, of course, Bodhi's last wave, because it's very reminiscent of a scene that we will discuss here very shortly in my notes, but uh, it's just great because... Throughout the movie, like, this was Bodhi's goal. And the whole movie, you you want to see Bodhi succeed and hit that wave. Um, and so when you finally see it happening, and then we get to, like, some of the um, worst Australian accent. Like, the, okay, the Australian cop that we see in this scene is actually a German actor who was in the movie Beer Fest. The one that ran onto the beach... Well, there's a lot of them, but they're, they're, it's the specific one that says, like, we'll get him when he gets back in! Yeah, and then Johnny, yeah, it's because he's a German actor trying to do an Australian accent, which it comes off like weird, like, bad cockney. And then Juni, Johnny Utah's like, no, he's not coming back. And then he takes his badge and then throws it. My next quote, though, I have is uh, Pappas, when we meet Pappas. Or no, it's, uh, sorry, sorry, not Pop, not when we meet him, but uh, <laughs> I saw meet. And yeah, anyway, so this is one, this is a quote that's been stuck in my head ever since I rewatched this movie. And it's Pappas when he says that it's lunchtime. And of course, he talks about the meatball subs, and he says, It's time for lunch. Angelo, it's 10.30. Right around that corner, there is a sandwich shop. They sell meatball sandwiches. Best I've ever tasted. Would you go get me two? Come on, partner. Two. Thank you. 
You talk. Give me two. I, well, first of all, this man wants to know, wants you to know, he wants two meatball subs. He mentions it three times, but I just love it. Utah, give me two. And it's just, it, it, the fact that, like, Johnny Utah's a football star, and then just the fact that Pappas is just, well, one thing he says after he finally gets his meatball sandwich is, I'm so hungry I could eat the ass end of a dead rhinoceros. I should have got, made you get me three of these damn things. <laughs> and, of course... Now, sadly, like, the scene very abruptly ends because this is when the foot chase begins, but, like, uh, I do kind of hope he did at least get to enjoy the second meatball sub because he does claim this is the best damn meatball sandwich he ever had. I had a meatball sandwich, or meatloaf sandwich th today, and it was, it was pretty good, man. And, like, sometimes I eat some food, and I kind of wonder, like, is this the equivalent of how good this is? Like, uh, Grippo's Sweet, uh, Sweet Vandalia Onion... I swear, if I have ever ate anything that comes close to what the, the, the onions in holes tasted like, it's those potato chips. But anyway, <laughs> I really do hope those, I, I do really hope the meatball sandwich was worth it though. Um, the next scene I have, of course, that we were just talking about is Utah chasing Bodie after the bank heist, which this was a scene that was really made popular I mean, it was already a popular scene. It's a really well-known scene, but it was really, like, brought into the height of pop culture even more so to newer audiences thanks to Hot Fuzz because they make the reference to it because uh, Nick Frost's great, like, he just said, uh, Keanu Reeves loves his, Patrick Swayze so much he can't even shoot him, so he just shoots his gun up in the air, like, oh! You know, all that stuff. Sorry to our British listeners. Everything about that scene, though, of him... Of him getting chased down, well, for starters, that's not Patrick Swayze under the mask. He was actually overseas, I think in Japan, promoting Ghost at the time. So it was a stunt, uh, it was just some, yeah, it was just stunt runner, I guess you would say. And so, but again, as I mentioned, like, there's a part where Bodie throws a dog, a pit bull, at Johnny Utah to get away from him. It, it, the thing is, it's and of course the the dog goes from real dog, fake dog, real dog, fake dog because no, it's not a real. It, it, it's part. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the dog from John Wick. I'm pretty sure it's the. I'm kidding, of course, but still. Um, but yeah, I, that seems iconic. Uh, Bodie, or uh, Johnny Utah, hurts his leg again. We get the whole like. I think like the biggest Breaking Bad moment is when we know. <laughs> that Bodhi has kind of gone dark is when he takes the gas pump and, like, uses it as a flamethrower. I think that's our biggest indication is when he's broken bad. Um, but going on to my next quote, though, it's when um, Pappas is filling Utah in on the robberies, and he says, it, I, I just love when there's, like, the cops are even, like, impressed with the robbers, and he says, 27 banks in three years. In and out in 90 seconds. No one ever gets shot. Now what are we talking about here? We're talking about solid professionals. Good moves. Yeah. They control the room well. And they stick strictly to the cash drawers. They don't go for the vault? No, they never go for the vault. They never get greedy. Smart. You burn time in the vault. Yep, that's right. Reagan usually does the driving. Stolen switch guard. They leave it running. On the curb... Looks parked from a distance. When they run, they dump the vehicle and they vanish. Like a virgin on prom night. I mean, they vanish. 
And then, okay, so there's, like, there's a guy I gotta mention. There is this over-the-top, like, side FBI agent that we see throughout the movie. He's one of their partners. And he comes up, and he meets Johnny Utah, and he's, like, making fun of Pappas. And he's like, have you told, have you heard about his, uh, thing? And he's like, whoa, totally tubular, dude. And he does, like, this fake laugh. He's like, we're at the department, we all love it. And I just really was like... You're the guy, you're the Travis Kelsey of your department. You think you're the coolest guy in the room, but everyone kind of fucking hates you. And everybody wishes you were your brother. Anywho. <laughs> and even though he's uh, made fun of his for the whole theory about the ex-presidents being surfers, in the end, I mean, Angelo is ultimately right, though. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. Definitely. And here it is. The ex-presidents are surfers. 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 The next scene I have is not the first skydiving scene, because I think the first skydiving scene's kind of cheesy, because especially, like, there's these moments where, like, every time we see Kieto, he's like, Whoa! Oh, God! And this is amazing! And he's just kind of, again, over the top about it. Which, again, if I went skydiving, I'm sure I'd be, like, enthusiastic about what the fuck was happening. Or terrified. Or passed out. Who knows? But I do have to give the scene a little bit of credit. Because I do like when they are first in the air. And Johnny questions about who packed his uh, parachute. And they just kind of play this kind of mind game of hot potato because they know he's an FBI agent, but he doesn't know that they know that he knows that they know. Three minutes. So this is a little ceremony we always do at the end of the summer. One last speed star. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, you might want to pull that little orange thing sometime. The life you saved may be your own. So, uh, Pack my shoe. I did what? You don't trust me? You gotta earn trust. Okay, we'll earn it together. Here, take mine. Hey, Johnny, I don't think this is such a good idea. Bodie's packed up pretty shitty. They only open about half the time. Less. Bullshit. Why don't you take young grommets here? How'd that be? Nah, you don't want this one, man. This one's set for a neck breaker. He's probably better off something like. This. Get a jump or jerk off. That's my man. It's the second skydiving scene because that's after everything's gone wrong. Pappas has get, gotten killed at the airport. Roaches died on the. I'm pretty sure Roaches died on the airplane now. Bodhi has fallen backwards out the plane. His his uh, adios amigos or whatever he says. And then it's the fact that like. Bodie picks up the large-ass pistol and says, Fuck it! And jumps out of the plane without a parachute and tackles Bodie in midair. And apparently, if you are an experienced and well-trained, uh... Well-trained, um... What, what, skydiver, yeah. You could actually attempt to and succeedly do that, but it's also very hard to do, so don't do it if you're not a professional skydiver. The next scene... Who? Travis Pastrana. Oh, he did? Mm -hmm. On what? He jumped out of a plane without a parachute. And landed on someone with a parachute? No, someone caught him. Oh, 
Okay, so that's a little di- is a little same, but a little different. But that I I assume that the person with the parachute was a professional. Yeah. So that they never skydived before. Well, see, there we go. This is this is where <laughs> we go back to what I just said. Anywho, I already said that part. Oh, I need a scene. Uh, no, no, I need a quote. My bad. So the next thing I have is I mentioned it earlier, but Bodhi talking about the fifty-year storm. Fifty-year storm. That's kind of a legend. No, it's real. It's absolutely real. Everything moves in cycles. So twice a century, the ocean lets us know just how small we really are. A winter storm comes out of Antarctica, tearing up the Pacific. And it sends a huge swell north 2,000 miles. And when it hits Bells Beach, it'll turn into the biggest surf this planet has ever seen, and I will be there. So The ultimate, gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. But it's not so much the speech he says about it, but I like what he says right after. If you want the ultimate, you have to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. And right there, that's another point of something that we'll get into short soon, but it feels very, uh, quarter mile of a timey if you know what i mean um the next scene i have of course the opening heist when we meet the ex-presidents because what i like about the opening heist and i'll i have it in some of my notes is that they don't tell us anything about these guys like we the most we see is they're a couple of white guys and they call themselves the ex-presidents and the robin a bank that's all they tell us but we know they're in there 90 seconds flat in and out we don't we even though as an audience member today we know it's patrick swayze there is nothing to tell us that it's patrick swayze little hand says it's time to rock and roll everybody freeze And then the next quote I have is Johnny Utah when he's talking to Bodie and he says, You bet. Finally get your waves and it's totally closed up. Just waiting for my set. You gotta go down. You cross the line and people trusted you and they die. Yeah, it went bad. But real bad. Life sure has a sick sense of humor, doesn't it? It's just God, cheesy. It's so it's, it's so cheesy and bad, but I just love. And he, but the thing is, he's like, Bodie's just so calmly, just like, yeah, yeah, things got wild, man. Things got a little out of hand back there. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, shit happens, man. Um, and then uh, the next scene I have is the beach football scene. Now. There's multiple reasons to love this scene. First off, we find out that Johnny Utah was from... (laughs) Well, I just love how they introduce him as... 
Don't you think that's a little out of line? Whoa, 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 cool it, Roach. Don't you know who this is? No, I don't know who this is. This is Johnny Utah. Ohio State Buckeyes All-Conference, remember? Number nine, man. How you doing? <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Johnny fucking Utah. Sorry, man. Didn't mean to get in your face. Man, I knew I knew you. It was the Rose Bowl. Three years ago, you beat SC, right? You? You did this? Yeah. That was one hell of a game. So <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you got nuked in the last quarter or something. Yeah, I got my knee folded back about 90 degrees the wrong way. Whoa, that's why you never went pro? Two years of surgery, missed my window. Went through law school instead. Law school? You're a lawyer? Wow. Well, life's not over yet, man. You're surfing. Johnny Utah is a made-up character. He could have been a two-time Heisman winner. He could have been the two-time national champion. He could have been anything. We get, we just know that he won the Rose Bowl and that his, he's all con. How many all con? Tell me how many college players you remember are all conference right now off the top of your, exactly. Like out of all the things for them to remember, like the writers kind of fucked up here. Now, I don't. Here's something that like I've heard other people complain about that they don't see how they're football fans. But the thing is, it's like, throughout the movie, we are told, we are giving a timeline of when they rob banks, and for, by the way, 30 banks in three years is massively insane. Like, I couldn't do two banks in five years, but, yeah, uh... real people in the 30s didn't do that. I mean, well, I, Dillinger, maybe. I think he could have done it, had a run for his money if he wanted. But anyway, but just like, here's the thing, though. When the summer ends, they vanish. Yeah. They are, they live off the money, so they're definitely, like, if they're not always, like, they show them doing stuff, but at the same time, it seems like anytime they are doing stuff, Johnny Utah is with them. And Johnny Utah states that he only surfs in his free time. So if Johnny Utah is working most of the time, he doesn't have that much free time. But also, we also hear when he starts when he starts investigating them that they do go out and buy stuff. They do go hang out places. They go out and eat and stuff like that. Like, they do go and do stuff that's not surfing and all this extreme stuff sometimes. So, who's to say that they didn't, like, have a cookout on Saturdays and watch some football like, like a couple of guys? I mean, when we first meet them, they are playing football. Like, why is that so hard to believe that they would like football just because they surf? Like, I don't, I just, I don't get it personally. Like, it's plausible that if they, and also, what fucking time of the year is football played? Spring, the, or not spring, no, the spring ball. Well, uh, fall. the fall, the fall into winter. There's no, are they, they're not going to surf, I can see them surfing sometimes in the winter, but I guarantee it drops tremendously from the summertime. One thing I do also want to point out in this scene, though, for some weird reason, Johnny Utah like, okay, for starters, Bodhi unnecessarily is running down the beach, and I don't know how long he was going to run down the beach, but the man had a touchdown, like, long ago, but they just kept running. Or in the words of Forrest Gump, I just kept running. Um, and then, <laughs> but on top of that, Johnny Utah tackles the same dude three times. They cut it, they had, they cut it, they, they use the same clip twice, but they cut it with a different angle of the same dude. It, it, go back and watch. It's hilarious, but it's great. Like they, And also, like, if he was a quarterback, why is he so good at tackling? Do you think he got a lot of picks? 
Probably. Or I I, I want to say that Johnny Utah was probably the best Ohio State quarterback next to C.J. Stroud now. <laughs> and, okay, but yeah, I do love the football scene, I, the beach football scene. I like finding out about Johnny Utah. I do like the ridiculousness that they are having a pickup football game and they have an offensive and defensive line. I wonder, I really want to know who won that game because it was like once Bodie got tackled into the ocean, they were like, fuck it, I guess we're done. Uh, and I think I'm on my last, I am on my last quote here. The last quote I have is after the whole foot chase thing, after they find out Johnny Utah is a cop and, you know, they, they, everyone's instantly like wants to kill him. Gromit's like the only one who said, is like, I want to get out of here because I'm scared, which makes his death a little sadder when it comes around. But I like what Bodie, okay, so Bodie is still in this kind of, in denial mindset at this point, but he's like s sitting there and he goes and he says, This was never about money for us. It was about us against the system. That system that kills the human spirit. We stand for something. To those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins, we show them that the human spirit is still alive. Uh, I kind of like the whole expression of like, people driving along the freeway in their metal coffins because like i was i was one of those people for the longest time like thought like i'm never going to be one of those guys who's like inching along on the highway to get to work i'm not i work at a job that i'm the one of the first people there in the morning so yeah but still like man if there was an expression like more i guess because in the early 90s, this was like leaving the 80s era where I guess like the 70s were finally dying out and like it, Wall Street America had taken over. Because as we talked about in The Wedding Singer, like a big theme of that is Wall Street and money and all that. So it makes sense at this time that there would be those people, those – because Bodhi seems like he'd be kind of a child of the 70s and 60s. So it makes sense that he would kind of have this anti-Wall Street agenda to him where – because they even mention like to the people that they don't want to hurt them, you know, that the, your money's insured, you don't want to die over that like kind of thing. Like they just – and they don't get greedy. They never go for the vault until the end when, again, Bodhi's breaking bad. He's getting greedy. He's getting sloppy. He's not zen anymore. He's – he's – yeah, he's he's this Zoltan. Uh, when was the last time you've Zoltan? Never. <laughs> when was the last time you've worn a bubble wrap suit? We should do. You know what? As that's a fucking bad movie. I'm just going to put that on the record. Dude, where's my car? Is not anywhere a good movie, but it's a movie I definitely want to rewatch for some god knows reason. I want to talk about the uh the, what was it the fluxu the transfunctioner what 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 was the first part of that? Oh no. I just remembered it was a Rubik's Cube, and for the longest... I, that was actually, like, the the very beginning of the the renaissance, if you will, of the Rubik's Cube, because people wanted the trans-functioner? It's going to come back to me, but we should do that. We need another Guilty Pleasure Month. That's what I'm saying. Anywho, going back, though, going back into our scenes, because I do have one last scene... And it is, of course, the first house raid uh, where the wrong surfing group is being targeted, which, again, is going to come up in my notes very soon. But, yeah, in that scene, we get Tom Sizemore's little small cameo, which he enjoy. He's a man who enjoys beer on his Cheerios. Uh, <laughs> 
We have the weird world's weirdest looking electric push mower, which I'm sure is nothing that ever actually existed and was only made for this movie. We have a crazy naked shower lady kicking Keanu's ass, which that lady was actually played by someone named Julia Michaels, who she has a connection with Patrick Swayze as she was the blonde stripper in the movie Roadhouse. Fun fact for you. Yeah, also with that is uh, we get the great Angelo Pappas line of uh, when Warchild is trying to push uh, push um, Johnny Utah's face into the mower and he sh- a shoot does the weirdest, craziest trick shot to shoot the engine even though he's on the other side of it and he puts the gun to his face and says, speak into the microphone, squid brain. Um, Such a stupid insult. It's such a stupid insult, but it's such a Gary, like, I feel like if Gary, we, we have barely talked, I mean, we've talked about Angelo lines, of course, you know, Utah, give me two, but Gary Busey and Akita Reeves actually work really good in this movie together. Like, I buy that these would be like a, yeah, but, um, (laughs) before he went Busey, but but I, I would believe that these two men, these two guys would have a hundred percent been partners on the force. But yeah, that's all of my for my notes and quotes. Do you have any scenes or uh, scenes or quotes before I go into my other notes? I can't think anything off the top of my head right now. All right, so here are some notes from watching the movie. It's the last thing we will have here. I put, of course, Kano would look cool waiting in the rain on the hood of his car with a shotgun, and we get some of our first lines of the very very first lines of the movie after Johnny Utah just unloads, like, an unlimited supply of bullets on these cardboard cutouts, which a lot of them, again, we have repeating footage, like, in the football scene, but we get the guy going, 100% Utah, good job, and we get the meme of him doing the thumbs up in the rain, which, again... Why isn't he wearing a raincoat? And why do they have to do this outside? Like, that's what I'm not understanding. And where are all the other cadets at this time? (laughs) It just works for me, though. Um, We get a walk and talk, which I love a good walk and talk in a movie. I've always wanted to do that where, like, walking down a hallway and it's just like, I need these papers by noon. If I don't get these by Thursday, everything's going to go wrong. Tell Simpson to get me this by five today. If it's not here by five today, tell him to go find a new job because I don't want to see his face tomorrow. You know, those kind of things where it's like lines are just being spit out. And of course it's by John C. McGinley, who is most famously known for being Dr. Cox on Scrubs. The next thing I have is that I love that we, well, I already mentioned this, but I love the fact, again, that we don't learn anything about the ex-presidents. Everything about them is really quick in those scenes. I love that Tricky Dick, a.k.a. Roach, is really, really embraces that he's Richard Nixon, because any time he talks, he's he's just like, he's always in the Richard Nixon voice. Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick. I believe that... I will believe that Gary Busey is a blonde Greek named Angelo the day the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl. When Utah gets his surfboard and the kid tells him that he's not too old. Hey man, a lot of guys your age are learning to surf. It's cool. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm 25. That's what I'm saying. It's never too late. Hope you stick with it. Surfing's the source. It'll change your life. I swear to God. In real life... Thanks to this movie, this is a fun fact for you, Keanu Reeves picked up surfing after this. Like, he is an avid surfer after he does this movie. Why would Johnny feel the need to yell for... Okay, after he gets his... After he gets saved 
after his very awful first failed surf attempt. One, after being saved, he decides to yell at Tyler, My name is Johnny Utah! Like, why does that matter in the moment? Like, it, 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 But I love that Tyler just says, No one cares! Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, in no fact, like that is such a weird moment, and I really don't understand why they keep that moment in no it. No one actually does care that he's Johnny Utah. But I, uh, when they find out that he's number nine, all, I, I love that's one of my thing, favorite things is once uh, once Brody says the Ohio State Buckeye All Conference, Gromit comes in and goes, number nine, all right, man. And then like Roach is like, oh man, sorry, I didn't recognize you. Sorry to get all up in your face. Um, by the way, I don't mention him. There's a character named Rosie in this movie who's supposed to be like the man who's like on the edge and shit and. He's played by Lee Turgeson, uh, who people would know him from Wayne's World as the, No, man, I love you! He's, again, he's the wild card of the movie, but he his whole thing does not make sense with the entire crew. Like, when he's on the beach, he stabs a thing of lighter fluid, and then, like, it pours all over him, pours all over the campfire. He sticks his foot and leg in the fire and just keeps spinning Corona out at it the whole time. Makes sense. Yeah, like he, he he honestly doesn't make sense in the movie. He's the one who ends up kidnapping Tyler towards the end uh, when uh, Johnny Utah has to save her. But yeah, it, otherwise his character makes zero just doesn't make sense at all with it. There. Yeah, he's just in there to have some sort of because Bodhi's supposed to be all Zen and he's not about violence. Even though he fights a lot of guys in this movie, I, I forgot to mention his little confrontation with War Child, his little whole like. Back off, he's with me. Kiss my ass. Back off, War Child. Seriously. Anthony, or yeah, Anthony Kiedis. I feel like he would just be. I, I feel like he'd be a real big douchebag in real life. He's the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nah, man, that would be a waste of time. God, he's just really bad in this. I don't know how he got the role, but man, they it's were whatever. Big back then. They, I think I don't know if they were because this would have probably been filmed in the nineties, nineteen ninety. So I feel like we will have to look up their rec, their like when their like first big record came out because obviously they would have probably been known for. Oh, by the way, there are some great squibs in that shootout scene, like when he shoots his fucking toe and it looks like a fucking I don't know like. Uh, the groundhog from Caddyshack pops out of it, and he just starts screaming. I just there's a lot of good. I, oh man, didn't even bring up how Angelo is yelling for Scooby in that scene. That's his great undercover, like Scooby, Scooby, come here, dog. Okay, my next uh, note here is that between this and the replacements, I'm fully convinced that Keanu Reeves is an Ohio State Buckeye because both Johnny Utah and was it Shane Falco? Is that? It? Both Ohio State Buckeyes. If the if if the statement fear causes hesitation and hesitation causes your worst fears to come true isn't true, I don't know what is. If all else fails during a fo- foot chase, throw a dog. Gromit's death is actually really sad, especially if we take in that he might be Bodie's brother. Because in that scene, if you notice, a lot of times Bodie only calls him little brother. So I 
fully on board that Gromit might be Bodhi's little brother in that scene. And the fact that he's watching him die and all that. And again, Gromit was the one who was scared and saying the night before saying like, we should get out of here. And Bodhi saying, no, like you guys, do you trust me? Like this is the human spirit. We're not in the metal coffins. And then the, (laughs) I mentioned the first guy, I mentioned the second, I really love the second skydiving scene. But I wrote a note that the first skydive lasts way too long, and the cuts of Keanu are insanely cheesy now. And then my last note here, before we finish up, and then it's going to be kind of a little bit of a rant here. The Fast and Furious creators didn't even try hiding the fact that they stole this movie 100%. Johnny Utah is a hotshot rookie FBI agent on his first assignment, which is an undercover, much like Brian O'Connor, Bodhi is the central character and leader who seems to be just like that, just that, a leader of a four-man crew that secretly performs robberies. He makes a special connection with the undercover FBI agent, allowing him in his small exclusive circle, much like Dom and his relationship with Brian. Johnny used Utah's lead in the surfing gang as a woman close connected to the main group in some way. That would lead, that would be Tyler, who appears to use to used to have a relationship with Bodhi, much like how Mia is that way to uh is that way to get close to Dom and she has a family relationship with Dom. The drink of choice in this movie is Corona. The shrimp shack Tyler works at is the same place Brian and Dom eat shrimp at in the Fast and the Furious movie. Not even counting the fact that again, that we have an instance where uh, Utah doesn't want to, like, really see the picture that Bodie and his gang might be the robbers, so he's putting all the blame on another surf gang, and they have a fail raid that ends with them not having the right people, just like, uh, the Johnny Tran gang in the Fast and Furious. Um, and then this also ends with the FBI agent letting the main perp that they have, that they could have in their custody right then and there... Go, letting them free. But he dies in point break. And, and Bodie is confirmed to have died by Catherine Bigelow, but still, like, there is, like, it is unnecessarily too fucking similar. Even the youngest person in the group gets killed first, gets shot, and almost dies. Like, even his blood pattern is almost identical to Jesse's. And just, like, the fact that everyone drinks Corona, the fucking... Just, that killed me when I realized that. But, like... And then, like, as the the FBI... As the agent goes along, they get start getting questioned by their older partner about if they've gone... gotten too close to this, uh... to this assignment. It's the same fucking movie, except the thing is, it's like they couldn't even wait like twenty years to rip it off. They they waited less than almost ten. Like it's it's it, 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 it like Keanu Reeves is still popular at two thousand one. He the Matrix films are just coming out. Like there's no way like people are forgetting Point Break at this time. It was about ten years. It was ten years. Yeah, I mean ten years, but still like it's it's yeah. So. That's all I have for that, but I do have one thing. It's our one last thing, and then we're going to wrap it up. I mentioned how every now and then I'm going to have a new segment. It's for one actor or actors in a movie that just come out of left field. They they have very minimal screen time, but they just knock it out of the park. I call this the award, Where the Fuck 
the guy this guy come from? And this award is is given this time to Ben Harp, boss of the year, played by John C. McGinley. And if you guys have been wondering why I've only mentioned this quote once, it's because it is time to say it here. Ben Harp has one of the best quotes of this movie. Not only I mentioned the walk and talk scene, John C. McGinley should have been the angry police station lieutenant, the angry boss. Every angry police sergeant should have been John C. McGinley. Any angry army sergeant should have been John C. McGinley. The guy is great at quips. He's great at doing the fast talk, the walk and talk and all that. But he has one of the best lines of the movie. It's well known. It's when he's telling Johnny Utah that everyone around here is in tip-top physical shape. Everyone's healthy um, and all that. And Johnny talks about, he takes the sk- I take the skin off my chicken, sir. Ben Harp, after seeing that, can't, that Johnny Utah has picked up a donut after he ta- specifically tells him that they do not deal with any kind of sugars and fats and all that. Johnny Utah says, I love these, sir. Takes a bite and we get the... special aren't you son young dumb and full of calm i know what i don't know is how how you got yourself assigned out here to los angeles with us i mean hell i guess we just must have ourselves an asshole shortage huh not so far and then johnny utah just goes not so far (laughs) but yeah i i just i know i talked about it when um honestly Steve Buscemi should have had it for Wedding Singer because again he was a great character but I didn't think of this award yet but you know where the fuck this guy come from award Bench Harp Boss of the Year aka John C. McGinley but yeah that was Point Break this is honestly one of my favorite movies I, I, I before my rewatch when I was like we have to do this next it had honestly been probably like two or three years since I rewatched it. So on Letterboxd originally, I had it at a four. And then I, I remember texting you about it. I was like, dude, I rewatched Point Break and it's so much fucking better than I really remembered. Because it's like my idea of like a five star movie is like a lot of times it's just like a really fucking good movie. But sometimes you just have that movie like even if there's flaws the flaws give it this charm and character that you just can't put down. You also have Patrick Swayze and his prime, which, you know what I, I just realized? When we gunned it to 88, I don't think I had a Google review, did I? I forgot to mention a Google review. But anyway, like, Google reviews, it has a 4.6 out of 5, so, like, your average reviewers do like it. There was one person who said... Uh, I could watch this movie once a month for eternity between the plot, the actors, the cinematography. This is a top tier movie from the nineties. Even if you don't want to watch it, just remind yourself, this is Patrick Swayze in his prime. And it really is like, again, he had ghost roadhouse this there, uh, a lot of others. I know I mentioned more earlier. I'm just blanking here for a second, but yeah, um, I just really love this movie. And I think this is one that, it's one of those ones that has been proven that even though we kind of played with the idea of like a Tom Hardy as a Bodie or even if Heath Ledger could have been a Bodie, but in all reality, 2015 showed us that this movie can't be remade. It's one of those because they tried replicating it and it just doesn't translate well because sometimes a movie hits 
lightning and a, the, the lightning strike just right in the DeLorean for this film. And I think overall that if this movie came out or too soon or too late, it wouldn't be where it's at today. But I think how it came out and who was in it and what they did with it and a lot of the things like there's so much that was done with this movie that is still done in action films today. And Catherine Bigelow really needs to be applauded for that because like, especially the chase sequences where it looks like you're just running with them and the camera moves really smoothly. Like, like I said, that run, that chase scene with Bodie, like it's a top scene for a reason because there's just so much, like you said, uh, you're reminded of end of watch. And that's why older movies are so important to me because I feel like for us to really understand and appreciate a lot of movies and where they came from, you you almost got to see where it came from first because then you can almost understand the filmmaker and what inspired them up to this point. But uh, yeah, do you have any thoughts before uh, we cut loose? Uh, I would like to see a remake, not a shitty remake, but a decent remake with the decent actors not some like I've never even heard of some of the fucking actors I think uh I think I think this would actually work as a uh, TV show yeah. like you could have it to where because I think one of the things at the end is uh, uh, Utah's kind of t- going off this like little like running down the sheet of like we checked this place missed you Rosie they find Rosie was dead uh, lost a knife fight and whatnot, but like they, 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 uh, passports expired and stuff like that. Like the whole man chase to find Bodie would have been interesting, or even like seeing because they did thirty banks in thirty like, like or thirty banks in three years. Like let's see some of those. Like let's see some of the origins of like how did they come up with the ex presidents? How did they like maybe what maybe trial and error of some things and all that. And I think that would be the way to go. Again, Tom Hardy would probably be today. I don't want to fully say that, but just just judging from how his presence seems on the bike riders, not so much the 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 accent he's using, but like the kind of like wise knowing dude. Just I feel like he just works as a Bodie. So I thought that was a slam. That's why I wanted to make sure you remembered that because I thought that was a slam, slam dunk suggestion. But yeah, that's all I have for Point Break. I hope you all enjoyed this. Next week, I'm forgetting our schedule. Um, oh, no, wait. It's uh, Fest Times. Yeah, fest we will times. be celebrating the anniversary, the uh, 40th anniversary. All right, wait, is it the 40th? I think, no, no, this is one of those movies. We missed so many anniversaries last year that I'm trying to, like, also, as we're doing anniversaries this year, catch up. But we will be doing, actually, I think it is the anniversary of it. Fuck it. We're doing Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We'll see you next week, folks. Um, And as we like to say, as always, bonjour.